Well, welcome to uh, another Revival Church Live Cutting Edge Conversation. And um, my guest is Karen Tullett. Uh, today we're going to talk about being a missional church. Now, to be honest, um, the word missional can be a bit of a turnoff to some people, maybe not you, because it sounds um, or can sound, I would say, a bit churchy. But we all understand mission when we think of the likes of James Bond or, or Tom Cruise or things like that. In those instances, um, it can seem um, exciting and perhaps a bit dangerous in an in appealing way. But often when we think of mission in connection with church, we think of missionaries. Now, that, that shouldn't be a negative because many missionaries were brave and radical people. If you only got to read about their lives to know what they gave up their life for. But nevertheless, I would say we still have an image. So I, th I think the problem is that we also think uh, missionaries are some kind of elite Christians and that this kind of thing is the preserve of super saints. Uh, that's not so. As far as I can see, you won't actually find the word um, or role of missionary in the Bible as a distinct calling. And the reason being that every Christian uh, is on a mission for God. And if you know anything about church history, you'll know that the for the first few hundred years, it was missional to the core. What I mean by that is that, is that the good news of Jesus wasn't to be found necessarily in a church building but out and about in the community and you know that's where the christians were active of course they they, they met together for fellowship worship and to be equipped uh, but services um, if you will as we know them weren't really part of uh, their operational model anyway on to karen um great to have you with us once more karen now karen is part of our revival church biroki family and is someone who um we know who understands what mission means and I'm going to be inviting her really to talk uh, this morning into this subject. But first, um, Karen, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background and really what motivates you? Is that OK? Of course. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, um, as you said, I'm Karen. I'm 35 and I've lived in Billericay for pretty much all of those years and been connected with various expressions of church throughout my entire life although um, I'd say it's probably only in the last five or six years that my faith has become the forefront of all my decision making and um, I probably wasn't doing a great job of leading my life so I, I handed it over and asked Jesus to take a bit of a, a more prominent role I'd say um, so I'd say that, that absolutely Jesus is my motivation I'm, um, I'm passionate about young people about mental health about seeing people discover the truth of Jesus for themselves Wow, that's a, a great summary. <laughs> so, it's like, so, so, Karen, so Karen, what what does the word mission mean to you? Um, well, many things, but funnily enough, um, I actually have a really rich heritage in my family of missionaries. I'm I'm going back generations, and and I have two great aunts and my granddad who are no longer with us who are heavily involved in missionary work and in missional missionary organisations, wow. and I. I have an aunt and uncle who have only just recently retired from being missionaries in Tanzania. Um, so, and I'm absolutely in awe of what they they and other missionaries have done. Like you alluded to earlier, like missionaries are, are brave and courageous, and they've gone out and they've they've changed the world. Um, but I think that is only one model of what mission is, and and that being called a missionary in our kind of understanding often is what my family heritage has had, which is going to another continent, another country and sharing the message of Jesus. But I think 
actually mission there's so much more to mission than that and we even here in the uk we live we live under the context of what we call christendom where it's it's all it was the norm for people to belong to churches and go along to churches on a sunday but i think i think we actually live in a in a country that and we're surrounded by people who are captives to many different things and i don't just mean captives as in people who are in prison but i think there are a lot of people who are captives to things like financial pressures, captive to poverty, captive to addictions, captive to ill health, both mentally and physically, captive to perfectionism, to religion, to busyness, to never feeling good enough. And to me, mission is about reaching those people and giving them a hope, going into a place where there's no hope. And that could be in a slum in Africa, it could be in a living room in Billericay, but there are people everywhere who don't know Jesus and they need to be told about Jesus, and that is our mission. Wow. So in the context of this conversation, therefore, about mission, obviously you talked about Jesus. So what is it about um, the life of Jesus that, that inspires you, Karen? The, the main thing would be his, just his unconditional love, the way that Jesus met many, many different people from many different walks of life. But the truth that he walked in was that there is not one person on this planet that's not loved by God and that's not made in the image of God. Everywhere he went, Jesus radiated hope and life and, and just this fullness and joy that, that, that he just unconditionally loved everybody. Well, so we talk about Jesus, or those of us who, who know Jesus, um, about uh, about Jesus being God incarnate, which literally means, as you know, um, God in the flesh. In other words, Jesus didn't just signpost people to God from a distance. He actually imb embedded himself in the environment physically and in people's lives. I wonder whether you could talk into the importance of this uh, as Christians being embedded in the environment actually and in people's lives not just being being distant does that make sense yeah absolutely i think as as christians i think it can be really easy for us to forget that jesus always led with i love you and he did lead with i know best i think we as the western church if, if i can put it like that I think we spend we spend too much time telling people outside the church how to live their life <laughs> and not enough time loving each other in, within the church and I think I think part of that comes from the fact that uh, the British Empire or the United Kingdom was bu busy building the British Empire and, and we've, we've, we've spread it spread all across the world and I think a part of that has seeped into the church and we've adopted a bit of that mindset and, and kind of done the same thing we've bowled into different cultures and we've said we're here we know the answer we know the best and it's we do know the answer because Jesus is the answer but I think we've forgotten the simplicity of, of loving that person where they are rather than trying to and we, we're trying to fix yeah. those things so a really famous missionary and theologian and missiologist that's one of my new favorite words missiology um, called Leslie Newbegin and he said this quote he said the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingdom. And I love that phrase, agents yeah. of God, God's kingdom. I know you like that one too. <laughs> I do, for all these reasons. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> Being an agent of God's kingdom is, is not about, the, it's not about getting into heaven when we die. It's about releasing the reality of God's kingdom here. It's, it's establishing God's presence in the, in the place that we find ourselves. And, and God's kingdom, is ruled by justice and love and gentleness and peace 
and kindness and generosity and compassion and humility, mercy and goodness and, and many, many other words like that, that that, that, that is what, the, what Jesus, God's kingdom is built on. And that's the presence that we should be bringing into every situation we find ourselves, situation we find ourselves in. My friend Lindsay Wells recently said this quote in a, in a Skylark Church soundbite. She said, we're called to be bridge builders, crossing over the divide to unite and to restore. And I think, I love that because we are called to be bridge builders, but you can't build a bridge and you can't cross over and you can't unite division without being there. You can't unite division from a distance. It's not something you stand on your side of the um, shore telling people this is what you need to do. You need to go and you need to be and you need to be part of a discussion. That is so good. That is so powerful. Yeah, no, that, and, it's, and it's so challenging, challenging as well yeah. for, for us all. You know, these words we need to hear again and again to keep us on track. And so let's let's develop this. Could you could you would you be able to give us some thoughts, therefore, on what this might look like in practice? You maybe have touched on some of these things as well, but just want to develop that. What might um, this look like in practice, Karen? Sure. Well, I think. Um, when we, we have this kind of conversion moment, I think, within our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and, um, and it's, it's really easy to fall in love with Jesus when you meet him. Like, it, it just is. But we, and then you can invite him into your heart. And then I think it can be also really easy to, to kind of trap him in there, in our heart. And, and don't get me wrong, like he is our personal Lord and Saviour, and I'm not saying that he's not at all, and, and he, he needs to, to live in our hearts. Hear me right on that. But there's so much more to it than that. It's not just about keeping him locked up and, and relevant to my life. He needs to, it needs to be bigger than that. And let me give you a very provocative example of, of this in action, which is what I think you're asking for. <laughs> I, often see, I often see Christians really passionately opposed to abortion and I'm not I'm not putting a, a stance out there as to whether I agree or disagree this is not that's not what this is but what I what I do do is I wonder these people that are so quick to voice their opinion on that matter what are they doing to actively support the widows and orphans in our world did you know there's 153 million orphans in the world today 153 million so that's 153 million kids who have have no one speaking on behalf of them, who have no one being their parent. And, and this, so the people that, that are saying you, that abortion is wrong, yeah. what, are they, what are they doing to help those 153 kids that have no one who's looking after them? Or what are they doing to help the, the woman who's found herself in a, in a heartbreaking position? But what, what are they doing to help them? Like, and I don't want to be political about it because I'm not yeah. that, I'm not making a again I'm not making a stance whether I agree or disagree with it but who's standing up for those orphans and what are those people doing to help them to help the wider conversa conversation I think the, the point I want to make is that it's really easy to preach from our soapbox about what is right and what is wrong it's really difficult to pull up our sleeves and get our hands dirty and it's really easy to march around with a um yeah and, uh, and go to a protest and sign a petition but it's really difficult to open up your home and say to and and give an orphan your spare room or and you know be a foster carer or all these different things that we could be doing for all these children so it almost seems like yeah where's you know, yeah 
I think I've learned. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's one example. You can therefore apply that to, to loads of different instances. And it's like, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it's like saying, we, you know, we're the light of the world. So using that as a spotlight to highlight everything that, that appears negative and wrong, but actually not using the light to bring good. So you, all you do is, is, you know, anyone can shine the light on something that's bad. It takes some, someone of, of, you know, sort of greater worth capacity to actually use that light to bring good in that darkness rather than just you know to highlight as you say you know what is wrong that's challenging for us all and as i say you know, you you can apply that in that illustration uh, and roll it out to any area can't you yeah yeah i just picked that one because i know it, it evokes emotion i'm like i like to poke it <laughs> No, no. It's, it's. I think we need, we need to, to be provoked. We need to be provoked. And, and Jesus um, was, was really good at that. He, he wasn't trying to point out wrong, but he was just trying to pro provoke us to really uh, catalyze the implementation of our faith, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay, so, so some other thoughts. So church attendance in proportion. This is talking about the UK, really. I may, maybe globally. I don't know. But church attendance in. Uh, proportion to the national population is really relatively low but do you think Karen that this is reflective of people's rejection of God or maybe um, just reflective of their rejection of the style and model of church that that in general so this is generalizations we're not saying that every church uh, is presenting um, Jesus to them in one particular way but but do you think it's just reflective in general of their rejection of the style and model of church that, that, that is being presented to them? Yes, is the short answer. <laughs> people are really open to God. They, they just are. I encounter people almost daily who are, they're genuinely interested in God. But I think it's a lot of it is down to perception of of what church is many people don't have a great opinion of church maybe they've they've had a, a bad past experience maybe they've seen you know they've got their experience from the media or, or wherever yeah. i think we've also we've the model of church that we've got is quite alien to what jesus intended church to be and often and i, I don't want to make it about race and class but the generic you say the generic white middle class christianity we have a bunch of famous mega churches and particularly out of north america so take this out of the british context for a sec but the the famous churches and the high profile leaders that we've got it's it's almost it's created like a consumerist society a consumerist culture where our, our congregations or our audiences are chasing a feeling yeah, and yeah. I think before we think about it like this, we turn we turn up on a Sunday morning, we dress in our best clothes, you know, we're not in the our moment, giving off this, well, yeah, not <laughs> at the moment. I'll get onto that, but gen, generally, for lockdown, we turn up and, and we, we, we sing some nice songs, we listen to a dynamic and engaging preacher for a little while, and, and we get that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that we've spent time with God, which is awesome. And again, I'm not knocking it, so I hope I don't come across like I'm being sarcastic. Not, not at all. But we... we we leave feeling affirmed that we're loved and then we, we go off and we live the rest of our life and then we come back and we do the same thing next Sunday. And then um, in some ways that's be, almost been enhanced by lockdown because some churches have started putting on amazing online services. And again, I think they're brilliant. Like, some of the things that I'm seeing are incredible. And they're like proper full-on productions. But in, in a lot of ways, it's almost highlighted the, the like watching a TV show on a Sunday morning that, it's even easier for a congregation to become an audience to sit and watch and settle in to watch a good tv show and 
and it's it's that's just how you spend your Sunday morning watching it but that that that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus and that's not what what church should be from my understanding Jesus is God he's incarnate God you said that before he's Jesus is the the creator of the universe and the Bible says that, that he's the one that holds it together he's breathes creation into being and he keeps it going he's breathing life and goodness all the time but he chose to become human and he chose to mix all that divinity and perfection and bring it down into the dirt and into the humanity and if that if all of that wasn't enough that he did all of that to relate with us better left this this incredible um like existence of of being worshipped and adored in heaven and came down to earth to relate with us better he then chose to die for us he chose to take the punishment he chose to um he chose to take my place he chose to 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 reconnect me with god he chose to stand in my place and he chose to die and that the incarnation is incredible when you think about it it's mind-blowing it's revolutionary it's transformational and jesus didn't do all that so that we could live a nice comfortable life and live a, sing a couple of songs on a sunday morning there's this this guy called ben Lindsay. he he's um, i'm reading a book of his at the moment and he he's talking he he talks about Jesus requiring his followers to imitate him. And if we think about everything that I've just said, Jesus literally stepped off a throne where he was worshipped and adored to come down to a place where he was despised and eventually killed. He chose to walk in discomfort as an act of radical solidarity. Sorry, that was a, that was a direct quote from Ben Lindsay. He chose to walk into discomfort as an act of radical solidarity. He came to transform, to liberate and to love in a radical way. Not so that we could have a nice little social club that meets on a Sunday morning that we can be part of. Jesus said to take up your cross and that following him is going to have a cost. And I have this um, written up on the wall in, in my house, uh, a quote from Nikki Sims, who leads our Skylark International um, Network. And she said, to know Jesus is to be continually changed by him. And I love that because I think as Christians, we, we always believe that sometimes we can, we've made the decision that we want to know Jesus for ourselves, and we're content with that and that's enough. But I want to argue the point that there's nothing passive about the gospel. It's, it's mind-blowingly extraordinary that Jesus decided to come down to earth. And, and when we think about that, how can we live a comfortable life without it, without it changing our lives? I remember once reading, some, I can't remember who it was that said this, but talking about when Jesus was first born in the, in the um, animal shelter, we call it a barn, maybe it was a stable, whatever it was when Jesus was born. And it says the heavenly host of angels were in the sky singing over him. And, um, and this thing that I read was saying, Imagine the angels, they, the angels have only ever known Jesus as this amazing yeah. God, as God, and they've worshipped him for forever because he's always been there and they've always worshipped him. And then suddenly he was a tiny baby. So the angels were probably like, oh my goodness, what's he going to look like? How has this happened? And it would have been, you know, mind blowing if, if they have the capacity to think like we do. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't wow. want to be about this. But they. For them to see Jesus as a, a tiny little human frail baby, the fact that he did that is just, it's mind-blowing. Isn't it? That's, yeah. that's powerful stuff. So, so, so we, we, could, we could talk all day, I'm sure. I know yeah. you could because it's something that, that means a lot to you. It means a lot to us. But I, we're going to yeah. need to bring this, um, this short conversation to a close. But I want to bring it to a close with, with one more question, which I'd ask like you to sort of like, 
give you a thought. So, Karen, how, how do you think we could do church differently, therefore, on the back of all those things you've said, really, which are really good and, uh, and challenging? How can we do church differently to better communicate uh, this love of Jesus, which you've spoken about, to our communities? Oh, that's a that's a massive question. I'm trying I'm trying to be concise, <laughs> but I think I think I know I've just massively just knocked the church and talked about it becoming like a TV show on a Sunday. But I think during lockdown, the church has really stepped up. We've seen incredible ways that the church churches in the UK have been absolutely mobilised. It's been like feet on the ground, off we go. Churches are running food banks delivering prescriptions, managing debt crisis, offering counselling and prayer support, and, and probably many, many other things as well. And I, and I think moving forwards as well, the church is going to be key in terms of things like supporting people through mental health issues. There's going to be a, a, a potentially a mental health crisis as we come out of lockdown, and the church is going to be there to support people. Um, and and schools and elderly people and lonely people and all those things, I think, I think this has given us a little glimpse of what of what church could be of what it looks like when a church blesses communities looking outwards rather than worrying about programs and services and all the energy that we used to put into putting on running different groups and running events and having services is now plowed into helping the community and i think that's that's incredible i think yeah. we also we need to make sure that we check our mindsets in that to remind ourselves that we are not the ones who need to save people we don't know best yeah we know the way but it's not up to us to swoop in to fix everything uh, we're not the superheroes we already have a savior and he's perfect our job is to represent him well and introduce people to him the bible says we're, we're called first and foremost to love god and then secondly to love others and i think the church can do so much better at loving others. I think I said that earlier. You know, Jesus was Jesus was always with the marginalised people. He was he was with the the widows, the orphans, the drunks, the prostitutes, the lepers, the outcasts. And I I, I challenge myself with this. When was the last time I had a conversation with a, a prostitute or a an or helped an orphan? It's not someone else's job. It's mine. It's yours. It's anybody who calls themselves a Christian, anybody who considers themselves a believer. I think we need to we need to stop concentrating on building our little empires and start loving people as we as we've seen that the church is capable of doing in this lockdown. Um, Les Isaac, who is the founder of Street Pastors, he when he when he talks about when he set up Street Pastors, he says he quotes from um, the book of John in the Bible where it says the word became flesh and the flesh. Uh, so that the flesh could dwell among us and then um, and so Les Isaac said well what does the word in flesh look like in my life what does the word in flesh look like on our streets what does it look like in our pubs in our schools in our social spaces and out of that he birthed street pastors and we're not all going to birth a national organization like street pastors but the truth is that we can each do something in our own life every single one of us make up the body of Christ which is the church that's that's what the church is and we can ask ourselves the question every day when we leave our house, God, who do you want me to pay attention to today? Who do you want me to notice? Who can I love today? And, and then listen to his answer. Who's he going to put across your path? It could be, it could be your neighbour, it could be the, the person at the checkout in Waitrose, it could be the lollipop man, it could, it could literally be anybody. Um, we, in, in 1967, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made a, a speech about, I think it was the Vietnam War, and he was taught, he's, his speech was about love, equality and inclusion. And he used the phrase fierce, uh, the, the fierce urgency of now. 
and how there's a fierce urgency of now. That was in 1967. Nearly 50 years later, Emma Watson did a speech in the UN in 2014. And she said this famous quote of, if not me, who? If not now, when? And I think between them, they've really got it. You know, it's got to be now. It's not waiting to be an elite or, or trying to be the, you know, aim towards being this elite missionary like you talked about in the introduction. It's, it's the realness of every day. And then the, the, la the last thing I just want to say is that I, I believe the church has got a really key role in fighting for social justice. The church should be leading the, the charge in the demand for social justice. We should be leading the charge, trying to ask for systemic change for Black Lives Matter. We should be the loudest voice calling out for equality for women. And we should be the first people to stand up for the, the marginal, marginalised. And no matter who that means, no matter what we think of them or their lifestyle choices or whatever it is, there is nothing passive about the gospel. And there is not one person in the world who was not created in the image of God and is not loved by God. Wow. Wow. Karen, as I say, we should go <laughs> Sorry, on to about this. Do you, know, do you know what my biggest take, my biggest, my biggest takeaway from today is, and drawing it to a close mind, is, is the challenge to rediscover who Jesus is. Because when we know who Jesus yeah. is, we have his heart, we will operate in the same way, won't we? Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Karen. And uh, that, that provides much to ponder, much to pray into, and much to action. Okay. Excellent. Bye. <laughs>